Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Way Inside. This is episode number five. John Cullen here with you, as always, for what promises to be a great episode this week. And before we get into it, just a little PSA from your friend John. We just saw this past weekend in Saskatchewan, Kelly Knapp. Former front-end player, played lead and second for most of his career, just switched to skip just before COVID, and then now has won the Saskatchewan Championships. Great to see as someone who was a former lead. uh, Pretty awesome to see someone just taking that step. And one thing I noticed that Kelly didn't do, and I think it's because he's maybe a former front-end player, but watching his games this week, One thing I noticed he didn't do, and one thing that I would like to say to Skips out there who are listening, I think it's time that we ban the term hard for a piece. Yes, that's right. You know the the call, the famous call from Skips. You come out to throw a hit. Oh my goodness, you're a little bit tight. You're a little bit light. Now all of a sudden the sweepers are going hard on it, and the Skip says that famous phrase hard for a piece we gotta ban that phrase you know why because hard for a piece that's not for the skip that's not for the sweepers look the sweepers know when a rock is tight and light right they're gonna know right out of the hand we gotta go the skip is yelling loud and if they're a top tier curling team they're sweeping hard already no you know who hard for a piece is for it's for all the other curlers out there on the sheet so they can look over and go oh my gosh look at this loser about to miss this shot that's who it's for it's a skips way of saying you are so stupid how could you throw that rock so poorly I want you to know you threw it bad and I also want everybody on the surrounding sheets to know that you threw it bad Skips, it's time to ban Hard for a Piece and speaking of someone who maybe went the other way, used to be a Skip now playing third, our guest this week Tyler Tardy, my teenage son. I've been playing against Tyler since he was about 14 years old. We get into that in the show. He's a BC boy now playing out of Alberta with Kevin Cooey in the middle of the Alberta Provincial Championships right now, the Boston Pizza Cup. And it's been obviously a huge transition for him, for Tyler, a big year, a chance to play with one of the goats. And we get into all of it here. It was so good to have him on the show. And so without any further ado, here is former world junior champion, Canadian junior champion, youth Olympic champion, Tyler Tartt. We gon' make it. We gon' make it. Chasing after that chain. Yeah, you know they hate it. Coming in so clean. All right, I am here with Tyler Tardy and Tyler. We do things a little bit differently here on Way Inside. We start with a lightning round. This is the top four. Are you ready? Sure. All right, here we go. Which curler have you never played with before that you would want to? Kevin Martin. If you know that all the rocks are exactly the same, which color are you taking? Yellow. What's something that's considered a basic thing in curling that you struggled to learn? Making shots. And how would your bitterest rival describe you? Uh, I don't know. Toxic. <laughs> <laughs> toxic. 
Wow, that's a big word. Why? What makes you toxic? I was just trying to think of a not nice adjective. <laughs> I just think of like I think of toxic as sort of you know you're you're like the poison in the well. You know, we're all evil in someone else's story, I guess. So, do you think you're evil in someone else's story? I feel like- I'd like to think not, but I'm sure I've pissed someone off at some point in my life. Well, let's dig into that. Let's let's really uh, talk about who you've pissed off and when. No, I'm not, just kidding. <laughs> I want to start with you kind of from the beginning here. I want to go all the way back to your junior career, which you're not that far removed from. And, um, you know, I think I've known you for a very long time because I've been playing against you since you were, I don't know, 15 or 14 or something like that. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, when did you decide that you wanted curling to become sort of a major part of your life because as I said you you were you know you were playing against men really young in in comparison to a lot of curlers we we're, we're probably fortunate that we had a very local high-end event being the uh, Cloverdale cash spiel when that was doing pretty well eons ago I started when I was eight and I took a year off because my brother hated it and I had to quit curling for a year <laughs> and then I begged to go back when I was 10 um Probably in the next year or two is when I started to really take it seriously. I was playing hockey and curling primarily. Uh, I did pretty much every other sport you could think of, but hockey and curling were the big ones. And then I gave up hockey to pursue curling because I just enjoyed it that much more. And probably around 12 or 13, I'd say I went into a little bit more. And playing the Cloverdale Cash Spiel is probably a big part of that. Yeah, I was going to say that's where I first uh, first encountered playing you and uh I enjoyed those days when you were 13 years old. It was guaranteed win night for me. <laughs> it's funny to think about, you know, I've, I've talked about this before to you, but, you know, I quit curling at the right time because I think my career record against you is, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, nine wins. I, you've only beat me once. You remember when you beat me? I can't even think of beating you, to be honest. <laughs> and that's how it should stay. Don't even think about ever beating me. No, you guys beat us in the Golden Ears final. I don't know when that was, 2018, 2019? Oh, right, right, You know, these days there are juniors that get, you know, get into playing in the men's and women's game early, but I think you were even earlier as far as, you know, yeah, I can remember you being sort of 13 or 14 out there playing against us. And I always thought that was an interesting way of doing it, but, uh, but a cool way of doing it too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've kind of preached this to a lot of, uh, younger curlers that, you know, I, I think the best way to kind of make yourself an elite junior curler as early as you can is to just pay your dues and get kicked off the sheets in four or five, six ends at, at a young age. And we did that. And quite honestly, it was embarrassing, but <laughs> losing to me is embarrassing. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah. No, but spending all this money to go to Portage when you're 16 and, and play 18 ends for the week. But, uh, you know, you, you learn so much in those, those short games playing those teams. And if you can just tighten that gap a little bit each year by the time you're 17 18 19 you're going to be pretty darn hard team to beat in the junior ranks and uh, that's kind of the approach we took yeah and I mean it obviously paid off you had one of the best uh, junior careers really in history and I was that kind of dovetails perfectly into my next question uh, you know I want to talk about your last year of juniors because as a lot of people know uh, you actually skipped it you decided not to play juniors you had won three Canadians in a row two worlds in a row 
and the Canadian Championship was in your hometown. So I'm curious as to, you know, you and I have kind of joked about it before, but now we're talking on a podcast, so it's official. What went into your decision to not play that last year of juniors? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, were a little confused uh, that you decided not to, you know, maybe chase some records there. Yeah, and to make it even harder of a decision, it was in our home club, the one I grew up in. So, um, yeah, it was it was a, a tough decision, but um, surprisingly a bit of a, a short decision. I think uh, Sterling and I kind of both mutually agreed that we, we've done so much in juniors and, and sure it would be nice to cr- have a chance to, to maybe crush some records. And uh, that was, that was kind of hard to pass, but uh, we're always looking at ways to develop doing those men's events at such an early age. And that was kind of our, our next stepping stone was to just go into the men's and take our crack at that today i'm i'm still happy with that decision as much as some people may not agree with me um i think we learned a lot in those that that one year just playing men's events you know we we'd usually try to do a little little bit of junior events and it might clog up the schedule a little bit and and the focus is kind of shifting here and there every once in a while with the juniors but uh taking that year away from juniors to just doing men's, I, I think it was very crucial for our development and got all the way to lose the provincial final to Jim Cotter that year. So wasn't really feeling like a, a good decision at that point. But, but uh, where I am today, I think I'm happy with that decision. So yeah, no, I, I can understand that for sure. And I want to talk, uh, this is more of a of a of a joke question, but you know, you had told me that you had decided not to play your last year of juniors. And I knew that Matt Hall was leaving BC. And so I figured you'd be playing with your brother and maybe you'd have another open slot on the team. And my men's team had broken up and I messaged you and I said, Hey man, you know, look, if you want a veteran lead on the team, I would, uh, I would potentially be interested in playing with you. And obviously you decided to play with Alex. So I wanted to know how close was I? I'll be dead honest, but I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's nothing against any of that. <laughs> Ever since I had COVID, I think part of my memories just hit a bit of a factory reset. So, uh, sorry, but I, I don't remember. <laughs> no, no offense taken. That is so fun. I was mostly, even when I sent you the message, I was kind of joking, but you did message me back being like, hey, you know, we just decided to get back together with Alex and that's kind of what we're doing. So obviously I wasn't very close. If you don't even remember, <laughs> uh, I must have not really been in the in the conversation. So you did talk about that year. You do make the the BC final and you lose to Jim Cotter and it was a, a close game. And then Jim ends up pulling away, stealing the last three ends to beat you 10 to six. And you talk about learning experiences. Uh, you know, what do you think you specifically learned from that game? Because, you know, you, you had given up your last year of juniors, you make the men's final, but then you end up losing. What do you think you did learning wise that, that first season of men's and particularly in that final over the season, I think it was mainly how to play on tour and just, you know, tighten the gap against some of the top teams. I, th- I think we actually beat a few top five teams for our first time uh, that year. So that kind of helped us, especially looking to the next year, we were working towards having a, a shot, you know, playing at the pre-trials and hopefully doing well there, um, which, spoiler alert, that didn't happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we definitely learned how to beat some of those teams and 
just beating them for the first time is is really the biggest step for a lot of these younger teams and to know you can do it. And uh, once the first one comes, I think they come a lot more often after that. Um, just getting more games like that was was huge. And uh, Provincials, we just uh, learned how to play in that final. Playing in those finals are, are always going to be tough. It can go either way. doesn't matter what team you're playing or what team you're on. Uh so, uh, yeah, just having one of those games under our belt is is huge for our development. And so I wanted to talk about before we get specifically into this offseason and, and everything that went down, um, you know, I think a lot of people thought, myself included, that, you know, you could have just stayed in B.C. forever and went to the Briar a million times, you know, and that's no disrespect to any B.C. curlers. Obviously, there's a lot of great teams in this province, but I think with where your trajectory was heading and and how your career looked on paper and Jim Cotter having a run of dominance and he's kind of, you know, aging out and playing less, I think a lot of people thought, you know, well, geez, Tyler and Sterling and any combination of front end players, you could have just an unbelievable run in B.C., Obviously, you chose not to stay in BC. And I'm curious, even before things started to move down the tracks with Kevin, was that something you were already thinking of? Maybe not playing in BC anymore? Or like, you know, was that was that something that was on your radar? Or was it just an opportunity thing that had you leaving? Yeah, I think it's mainly just an opportunity. I definitely have my eyes fixated on the Olympics some point in my career. And then I can finally just quit. so that's that's definitely the goal in mind um and it doesn't really matter what province it's out of for me it's just i want to be on a a top team and if i can learn from the likes of kevin and brad and kark who've a ton of experience and uh I, i wouldn't rule out bc i think there's definitely teams in there that could do well and win a briar go to the olympics but uh right now that's just uh where the the stars align to to send me is is alberta Gotcha. And last question on on BC. Did you ever talk to Matt Dunstone? Because I know, you know, you guys are obviously having great years on your own teams, but he lives in BC now. And I think that was another thing that that I thought of. And and I'm sure a lot of other people did. Boy, if Tyler and Matt ever got together in BC, that could be one hell of a team. Yeah, it was was funny because we both heard a rumor going around that um, it was, I think, quote, common knowledge that we are playing together. (laughs) I started and, it. Uh, did you? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I sent him a message uh, asking if if I just missed his text or something that we were playing together. But aside from that, just joking around that it was common knowledge we were playing together didn't really have a whole lot of discussion other than that. But I do want to break up this pod with a little bit of dirty laundry. Uh, this is the segment where I, uh, you know, I ask a few people around you uh, for some you know, interesting facts or stories. And in this case, Tyler, uh, you know, we call the segment Dirty Laundry, but this is actually specifically about your laundry. I want to hear about your whole sock thing. I, I hear you have a, <laughs> I hear you have a very weird superstition when it comes to socks and not even a sports superstition, but a life superstition. You want to let me in on that? Yeah, this is a extremely strange <laughs> one and how it started. Well, I'm going to have to really scrape down to the factory reset memory wipe oh. a uh, long long time ago i was in the the national science fair <laughs> whoa okay bragging not not to be a big dog or anything here but <laughs> in the banquet it was a, a black socks only affair and for whatever reason when i was packing up getting ready 
I only had one black sock and one white sock. By chance, I just put it on. Black was the left sock and then white was the right sock. And when I came in, they were actually checking to make sure you had black socks on. They actually specified because when you said it was black socks specified, I was like, okay, they didn't (laughs) actually specifically. so, So they said it and they checked it. Wow. Yeah, so they they uh, got me to, by chance, raise my left pant leg to take a peek, and it was the black one. So uh, ever since then, that's just <laughs> been my thing. So they didn't ask to see the right one. So you were, so you felt like you kind of no. James Bonded it a little bit. You got a, you got away with yeah, one. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow, that's incredible. And I know I was specifically told by the person who gave me this information that uh, it is left black, right white. Absolutely. And and that's and that's every day. Yeah, I got it on right now. <laughs> I I probably won't flash my feet for the camera for you, but <laughs> Well, you might end up on some weird yeah. websites if you do that. So yeah, maybe we'll keep the feet off camera for now. But uh that's pretty wild. So you like does it actually bother you like in your brain? Like if you ended up in a situation where you had to wear like two black or two white socks, that would just drive you nuts? Probably, yeah. Uh for whatever reason. <laughs> If I like accidentally put it on the wrong foot, like one foot feels heavier for some reason. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. So there's a couple of weddings I've gone to where Des gets mad at me because I, I want to wear these unmatching socks to a wedding. So I just wear these long black socks over my <laughs> mismatched socks. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So you're double socking it. If I ever see you at a wedding, you're double socking. If you ever see me with matching socks, you know for a fact I have another <laughs> pair of socks in it. That's incredible. What was your project at the National Science Fair that uh, that got you there? I was uh, making a electricity generator from rain and gutters. Wow. Yeah. Smart guy. Yeah. I generated like a tenth of a cent a year or something like that. So... So what can that power? That means nothing to me. I'm an idiot. Uh, about a light bulb every two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, progress. great. I'll give you. I'll give you a call in 2025 if I yeah. ever need a light bulb to be lit up. Uh, and the the second piece of of dirty laundry I have here is I've heard that uh, for some reason this year uh, you've gotten very into McDonald's. You want to tell me about that? What's going on here? You're oh eating more God. McDonald's than ever before. I've heard. Oh, yeah. There's nothing harder for me to eat than McDonald's. I've probably had it three times in the last 12 years. And every time I've had it, it was just the worst experience of my life. Not to give Don's a plug here, but no, we, we lost the Swift Current final. And Kev wasn't overly ecstatic about that. And uh, he offered to go through the McDonald's drive through on our long drive back. Me not wanting to kick him while he's down. I, I said, sure. And I... <laughs> sucked it back and tried to hold back a couple of dry heaves but uh <laughs> yeah we pulled through <laughs> my team used to have this thing where we would call it punishment where if we lost out of a spiel we had to go to a fast food restaurant but then also order 
like the thing that we would be embarrassed to order at a fast food <laughs> restaurant. It was like an excuse to be like, yeah, yeah. You know, I've always wondered what it would taste like if you put bacon on a McChicken and also like <laughs> one of the strips inside of a milkshake or something like that. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah. So it's nice to know, actually, that uh, one of the best skips ever has the same idea that he wants to uh, <laughs> that he wants to punish himself in the in the old Ronnie's drive through. <laughs> yeah. Why do you hate it so much? What's your deal? Maybe it's just a bit of stubbornness. To be honest, like, do you like other fast food or is it all fast food you don't like? Just McDonald's. You've blown a future sponsorship here on this podcast, yeah, but that's okay. Maybe. No big deal. There's lots of other options. <laughs> I don't here. think Dodds was, was sponsoring purely. <laughs> well, I think they yeah, used to, uh, they, they sponsored Team Montgomery in BC for Did a they? while. I rem- yeah, I remember they used to have the McDonald's oh, well. logo on their jacket. It always felt a little counterintuitive. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get back into the, uh, let's get back into the serious business here. Confirm or deny? Kevin Cooey called you first. Confirm. Wow, that's crazy. Like, so what happens? You 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 pick up the phone and it's Kevin Cooey on the line. How do you keep your how do you keep your shit together? Uh, you don't. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> Took a lot of uh nerve to finally be like, yeah, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> now, what did he say? Like when he calls you, you know, obviously if if, you know, you're thinking of wanting to play with someone usually you know you call them and and you give them some reasons why you might like to play with them what does kevin cooey say to you when he calls you on the phone to inquire about your availability his his thing was he'd always say he's touching base <laughs> yeah just trying to to get a feel for where i was at, i was at um i had obviously not made a decision on my current team at the time and um there had been some other people who have reached out. So I, I didn't really know what I was going to do yet. And, and, uh, at the time, uh, we weren't overly sure of a, a front end either, or if I was going to be playing front end myself. So, uh, yeah, just, he was just checking in with me every once in a while to, to see where I was at. And then, um, when we finally got a, a lineup together, it was easy to kind of pull the trigger and here we are now. Did he say what he liked about your game specifically that made him want to play with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> we just played every a couple times we we played that season and um I guess we had a, a couple of good games and he liked the way maybe I approached the game. I know I'm a, a very aggressive curler myself and and he is as well, so maybe that was a little bit of uh appeal for him. I don't know. So who else called? Uh, I don't let's know. Let's go. If, let's get, let's get the list going here. They, they didn't, they don't want me to share that. So I'll, I'll always respect that <laughs> if, if someone wants me to, to, to keep her tight. But this is way inside Tyler. You're going to have to go ultra deep inside. So I, I don't think I can, I can share that one. <laughs> Did you get a call where you were like, come on, I'm never playing with you. Let's, <laughs> let's get real here. Well, it, it's, it's weird. Cause if you don't get a call from like the likes of Kevin, then Sure, you'd consider some of these others, but just because Kevin's calling, like that's obviously going to hit priority right. one. So in that case, yes, to 
<laughs> right. <Some? laughs> I'm not asking for any names to throw under the right. bus or anything, but you know, I do think that is that is a funny part of uh, of the sort of curling dance, as it were. And now you talk about your current team at at that time, which was obviously playing with you know Sterling, who you've played with for a long time. Your brother, your dad's the coach. How hard was it to leave? Uh, you know, playing with those three in particular, I can imagine that must not have been. Uh, an, an easy decision and, and probably not an easy conversation either. No, there was uh, a lot of heartbreak in some of those chats um, on both sides. But uh, yeah, it was very tough. Jordan is pretty <laughs> close to like a brother to me. It's tough to do that. But uh, yeah, it, it was nice that they're understanding at least being the the situation I'm in now and and who it was. Um, But uh, yeah, definitely tough. Did you get the sense that it was a bit of um, blindsiding to them? Or do you think there was at least a a part of them that sort of saw the writing on the wall with, you know, you had spared a few times in the Grand Slams, you'd been a fifth at the Briar, you know, do you think that they that they maybe saw it coming? Or did it did it feel like it was sort of out of the blue to them? Maybe partially blindsided. Uh, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, no surprise that I was sparing for some of these teams and and having a fair bit of success with them. But um, I, I think that the counter to that was they're very supportive of me doing those kind of things. So it um, maybe it came across like I was going to stay because they were so supportive of, of me trying out and, and sparing and all that. So yeah, probably a little bit of both. Yeah, I assume for you, you know, obviously those are difficult conversations, but once Kevin Cooey calls on the phone, there was no doubt in your mind that that's what you're going to do. For sure. We've had some early success this year already, so that uh, helps kind of solidify that for me. Um, we've been yeah, on a little bit of a, a downward path lately, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. We, we have no reason to panic, and I don't think we've really had an event where all four of us have played really well yet and we've made three finals. So that's all you can really ask for. I, I think we're all kind of a different cat and uh, play down season. So I'm, I'm excited to see how we'll do there. It would be tough, I think, to start playing with Kevin Cooey. I mean, he's over 20 years your senior. He's obviously one of the most accomplished curlers of all time. You're playing back end with him. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's it had to be tough to feel like, oh, I'm truly a part of this, or you know, I, I have as much say as anybody else in this, or, or whatever. How did those sort of early conversations around that look like, and, and how did you kind of deal with that mentally, uh, you know, trying to adjust uh, playing for Kevin? Yeah, the, there wasn't really a whole lot of conversation, to be honest, partially because we're all quiet. <laughs> it mainly just took reps and being comfortable. Obviously, starting out, it was... A challenge for me. I I didn't want to chime in too much. I I know on his some of his recent teams he's had a bit of too much input, in my opinion, and I didn't want to kind of give him flashbacks of that. So it just kind of took time till we are all feeling comfortable, and I, I think we're pretty close now. Third was definitely a, a much bigger change for me than I had anticipated. I, I've played before sparing a lot but uh, I've quickly realized sparing is a whole lot different than actually playing permanently on a team and um, it's been challenging quite honestly but uh, yeah I haven't hit my full potential quite yet and 
I'm excited to see how we'll do when uh, that finally happens. What's been the most challenging aspect of that switch to third? You talk about it being so difficult. What's the main thing that sticks out? Uh, probably the pace. Pace is way different running back and forth a little bit more. I think it was a little bit more predictable for me at skip. At third, you probably don't have a, a full grasp on each path as much as is skipping, watching every shot and, and seeing it come down. And you, you still have an idea, obviously, at third, but it's it's definitely harder to, to get to that point where you know exactly what the ice is doing at third, in my opinion. Uh, so that's probably the, the biggest change for me. But you're you feel like you know you're halfway through a season. You feel like it's starting to come together. I'm definitely different in play down season, um, and uh, I know the rest of the guys are too. Uh, and having so much success at the Briar the last many years, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of a team we'll have because I, I think it'll be a little bit different. Now you're also playing mixed doubles with Rachel Homan, and uh, how did that happen? Because I think everybody was a little surprised you. You two didn't really announce it anywhere. You just sort of showed up in Banff, I think, was the first event. You just sort of show up there. You're playing together or whatever the first event was. And people were like, oh, is this like just a sparing thing? Are they together? You know, I remember texting you and you were like, yeah, no, we're, we're playing the season together. Um, so how does that happen? Did Rachel Homan call you too? Or how did that come together? That was really weird, actually. And I don't really remember how it really started. I know when... I spared for Jason Gunlickson and the boys at uh, the Slam and Olds is when I actually first met Rachel for the first time. Um, they had done a sweeping clinic uh, a couple weeks prior to that, so they were pretty close and hanging out, and naturally I was there too. And um, just for whatever reason, we we clicked really well, and she's she's a ton of fun. Yeah, here we are. I don't really know how it really came about, to be honest. <laughs> so you don't you don't even remember if it was like you or her who suggested first that maybe you play together? Uh, no, <laughs> I'll have to ask her. Actually, <laughs> maybe I'll have to ask yeah. her. I'll have to see what's uh, what's going on here. Um, so yeah, so what was sort of the you know you guys didn't really announce it. It just kind of happened. Like what you know because you're a pretty social media savvy guy and whatever why why was there no sort of big hey we're playing together we're doing this thing with you know blah 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 what what happened there i didn't know i was a social media savvy guy but the things you learn your, about yourself on a podcast <laughs> yeah i think i've done two posts in the last two years low-key <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, it's great. It's great. Speaking of tough conversations, you know, previously you had played mixed doubles for a long time with your real life partner, Desiree Hawes. Yeah. Now you're playing with Rachel Homan. How'd that convo go? Yeah, it was um, tough, obviously, but uh, I know mainly came up that I was looking because of um, scheduling issues. Des and I, even looking back at the, the events that uh, Rachel and I played, I don't think there's a single one of those events that Des and I could have done with our, our current schedules. And that's the only ones I could have played. At least I could, uh, you know, say that I'm looking to play with a two-time Olympian. So that maybe softens the blow a little bit, but, uh, yeah, the, the scheduling definitely didn't work. Unfortunately. Um, I think it's, it's no secret that I enjoy playing with, with Des, but, uh, yeah, the, the scheduling just didn't work. That's good when you have that excuse built in. Oh, babe, yeah, I've, I've been looking at the calendar. It's uh, <laughs> This is crazy. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> 
All right. Now, last couple, last couple questions. Um, you know, you and I have actually talked about this a little bit. Uh, we, we spoke about it a little bit last week, and I feel like this is maybe an idea that needs to reach the broader public. But you have sort of a unique idea for what you think we got to do to promote curling a little more. Because I think you and I both agree the way the game is sort of presented now is, um, you know, it's just been the same for a long time and there's maybe different ways we can present the game. Uh, so, yeah, do you want to share where you think the game should head as far as presentation? It doesn't have to be specifically what you and I talked about, but it can be if you want it to be. But I've always thought that um, curling desperately needs a villain in the sport. I, I don't think a villain is exactly someone that's evil or um, painful to watch or throwing stuff around and stuff like that. But um, someone who kind of approaches it in a much different view that maybe some people don't like. And that's what brings in a new audience. And it could be someone who's overly eccentric or, or uh, loud and obnoxious, but uh I, I just think that's a, a new way to bring in a new audience and, and some of the fans may absolutely despise that. But uh, the good thing is that it'll bring in a new audience. You look at some other sports. Another example of a maybe a villain that wasn't exactly evil is Floyd Mayweather. He was such a maybe boring fighter to watch, but uh, so many people didn't like it that it probably brought in a new audience. And uh, I think someone to do something different is what the sport needs and to maybe be branded as as a villain is is uh, what it needs, and and uh, if if people see on online that there's a a villain in curling, maybe that will bring a, a new audience. And um, hell for for all I know, it could it could be me. But uh, we can start it right here. I mean, you can be the villain if you want to be. You're just kind of too <laughs> nice and quiet of a guy. I feel like, uh, but yeah, no, I I agree with you, and I I think though, Tyler, and and you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I think that's actually a bit of a failing of the curlers themselves. Cause I think most curlers, in fact, maybe all of them don't want to be the villain. And so desperately don't want to be the villain that if anyone ever characterizes them as a villain, they take great pains to say, Hey, you're being mean to me. I'm not a villain. I'm a good person. Like, you know, do you think that's part of it? I do. And I think curling being branded as a, a gentleman's sport doesn't really allow that entry for maybe a villain in the sport every instance where maybe someone did start to become a villain, there was a lot of negative uh, media and fans towards that person that uh, may have turned them away from going that direction, which uh, unfortunately I I think may have put the sport in the the wrong direction in terms of presence and media and and whatnot. But uh, I think every time that, there's been something maybe negative in the sport of curling is when there's been the most attention brought towards it. And uh, I think if someone can maybe pursue that as much as it may not be so great for them, it will do uh, great things for the sport. And people want to call me the villain of curling for the betterment of the sport. Go at it. (laughs) I'm the villain of curling. No, I I mean, I agree with you. I I think, you know, for better or worse, that is what makes sports so captivating, right? It's why we tune in because we we want to see someone win, but we also want to see someone lose. And I think in curling, we've spent a lot of time 
uh, with the general idea of, oh, well, but what if everybody could win? That'd be so nice if we could just all win. And it's like, well, no, every game has a winner and a loser, and it's okay to want someone to lose, you know? And I, I think I agree with you. I, I think people leaning into that maybe a little more or just being okay with being criticized. I, I think there there is a lot of curlers at the high level who are afraid to be criticized. And I, I think that that's sort of part of being, if you want the sport to be professional, you need to allow that to happen. For sure. I think many, if not all of the audience right now is, you know, the people who are just wanting everyone to win and cheering for people to win. But the whole new audience that could make the sport into something much larger is the audience that's actually cheering for someone to lose. And uh, that's what I think we're, we're missing right now. And I think the, yeah, the athletes are a big part of that. You know they hate it. Yeah, you know they hate it. You know they hate it. Coming in so clean, I'm motivated. I'm motivated. That chip is all that I need. Yeah, they can't take it. They can't take it. Putting on for my team. Speaking of losing, I want you to lose here uh, in my final segment, which I call very difficult, extremely hard own career trivia. This is where I ask you (laughs) questions about your own curling career, Tyler, and we'll see. I mean, you've already multiple times on this podcast said your memory is garbage, so we'll see how well it holds up here. I will tell you that there are five possible points that you could get. The high score right now is three. Multiple people tied at oh, three. Wow. So we'll see. We'll see how well you do. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, you bet. Okay, here we go. Question number one. At the 2013 Canadian Mixed Doubles, you handed the team that won your pool their only loss of the round robin. Who were the two members of that team? Charlie Thomas, Kalen Park. Wrong. Sean Grassy and Karen Klein. I don't think I even beat Charlie Thomas and Kalen Park, actually. <laughs> Uh, 0 for 2. Okay, here we go. At the 2016 Canadian Juniors, Tanner Horgan got a bye to the final after finishing the round robin 9-1, and and his only loss was to you. What was the score when you beat him? You're killing me. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. I know what happened in the last end. (sighs) 8-7. Uh, you got one score right, but it didn't happen in the in the last end. It was not a close game. You won eight to three. Oh, am I thinking the wrong year? 2016 Canadian Juniors. Oh, right, 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 right. I'm so bad with years. That's the <laughs> that's the follow me. Both of the questions you've had, I was thinking a completely different year. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can get you on the board here. I think this is maybe a little easier, but I don't know because I genuinely don't know what this means. But at the 2016 Youth Olympics, there was a quote athlete role model for the competitors. Who was it? What on earth is an athlete role model? <laughs> Oh, 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 ah, shoot. What's his name? I don't know either, but it was on the Wikipedia. So I was like, I got to ask Tyler about this. Oh, he was such a nice guy. I can see his face. I'm so bad with names too. Oh, this is not going good. Have you had an 0 for 5 yet? No, I haven't. Oh, perfect. Do you know what country he's from at least? Canada? Mm. I think it (laughs) (laughs) It was Danish curler Rasmus Sterna. Oh, I kind of recall seeing him there actually. He's an athlete role model, Tyler. I guess he... His lessons were lost on you. Uh, Okay, let's see (laughs) if we can get you on the board with the final question. At the 2017, okay, so we'll get focus on the year. At the 2017 U18 championships, 
You lost the semifinal to the eventual gold medalist Jake Horgan. Name any name any other player on Jake's team. Max Cull. There you go. Max Cull, you're on the board. You're on the board with one. Do you know uh, either of the other two? Shane. Shane is his first name. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Shane. Robinson. Nick Bissonnette on that team. There you go. So, you you know, maybe if I had been a little more generous, you could have got a couple more points there. But as it stands, one out of five, the worst (laughs) score we've ever had on the show. Perfect. (laughs) All right. This is the final segment of the show, The Extra End, which we just started with last week's episode. I had Anna Hasselborg on the show, and I asked her to ask a question of you. And her question is, Tyler, what is your toughest loss of all time? I got a few. I'm very fortunate, though, that they only come from two years. Losing the final to Jimmy. Yep. And that wasn't just because it was our first final, but because COVID the next year happened. So we are graciously told that they're going to send the next year as the the reigning champs. So it just kind of felt like a two-year-in-a-row loss. Then losing the last round-robin game in Korea World Juniors to Cameron Bryce. That was to be in the one-two game. Then we lost that to play in a tiebreaker, which we then lost. Uh, Magnus, maybe butchers the last name. It's like <laughs> Ramsfeld, <laughs> something like that. Ramsfeld, yeah, 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 yeah. So those are those, those are the two. The three. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, now, do you have a question for my next guest? Oh, describe me in three words. <laughs> Like me as in in Tyler Tardy. Myself. Okay, great. I can't wait to hear what they have to describe you with. (laughs) I hope it's someone who completely doesn't even know who I am. Me too. I'm actually going to make I'm actually going to (laughs) work to make sure that it is. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much. This was great. Before we go, I'd love to give you a chance to plug your sponsors. Sweet. Yeah. Deuce Vodka, Selco, Twin Anchors Houseboats, Atlas Apex, The Ranch Golf and Country Club, Hardline and Runback. They've all done a lot for us and uh, yeah, love having them in our family. Beautiful. Well, there you go. Thank you so much, Tyler, for joining me on Way Inside. And I look forward to having you back in the fall for Ultra Deep Inside. Perfect. Thanks, John. Yeah, you know they hate it. Coming in so clean. I'm motivated. I'm motivated. That chip is all that I need. Yeah, they can't take it. They can't take it. Putting on for my team. All right, so there you have it. Another fantastic interview, this time with Tyler Tardy. Thank you so much for tuning in to Way Inside. And of course, before we go, it is time for our question of the week. This week, I asked three of your favorite curlers if there was an action figure made of you. And by the way, I should say, I think we should have action figures of curlers. I know I would buy them. That's for sure. But if there was an action figure made of you, which non-curling accessory would it come with? Because you know how action figures, they'll always come with like a fun little, maybe it's like a sword or a gun or something like that. I thought I would ask some curlers what their action figure would come with. First, we're going to hear from the third for Team Scheidegger. They were in the news these last couple weeks, the crazy pregnancy exemption thing with Curling Canada. I'm not going to get into all that, but I did want to hear from Kate Cameron, the third for Team Scheidegger. This is what she had to say about her action figure. Hey there, it's Kate Cameron from Team Scheidegger. 
if there was an action figure made of me, what non-curling accessory would I have? I would have to say that my accessory would be a Starbucks caramel macchiato. Um, why? That would be because I am uh, literally fueled on caffeine every day. So I think it seems fitting. Love that. Well, I don't drink coffee, but a lot of people drink coffee. I bet that would be the answer for quite a few people that it would come with a nice little coffee cup. And hey, maybe Kate could secure the bag, get a little sponsorship, get that branded cup in the package, get some coin. We could all use it. Next, let's hear from a provincial champion back to back Manitoba Scotties champion Mackenzie Zacharias. My name is Mackenzie Zacharias, and if I had an action figure made of myself, it would come with a dog as the accessory, and the dog would look like my Red Merle Aussie pup, Layla. All right. I like that, too. The idea of an action figure coming with a little action figure of a dog. You remember those little dogs you could buy in the mystery packs when you were younger? My sister used to love those. I don't even remember what they were called, dinky dogs or something like that. I don't know, but you'd you'd rip open the package and be like, oh, surprise, you got a border collie whose name is... Rufus or whatever, and then you'd collect all the anyway, I think that could be a good opportunity. Like maybe a a Mac Zach figure comes with a certain dog, little opportunity to make some cash, a little mystery dog. Who knows? Finally, I reached out to EJ Harnden. He was in the middle of a training camp with Team Guju as they get ready for the Briar. Of course, they got the buy back there as the defending champion. So he was out in St. John's, but managed to get back to me with his non curling accessory. Let's take a listen. EJ Herndon, and it would definitely come with a set of golf clubs uh, because as soon as the curling season's over, I like to spend my summers as much as I can out on the course. And probably like many other players, or maybe it's just me, but I think there's a few of us like this. I always feel like my next round is always going to be better than the previous, which keeps me coming back. But unfortunately, that's very rarely ever the case. Nonetheless, I love it anyway, so it would definitely come with a set of golf clubs. And again, I think a lot of the curlers would also have golf clubs as their accessory. And I also agree with EJ. Every time I go golfing, I expect to just somehow magically be good at it. Turns out if you barely ever practice and you play five rounds a year, you're probably never going to get better. In fact, now that I'm getting older and fatter, I'm getting much worse. So shout out to EJ and Kate and Mackenzie for answering those questions for me. And thanks to you for listening to the show. Another episode of Way Inside here on the Inside Curling Feed on Sportsnet. I want to thank Mike Rogerson, Amol, Kevin, Warren, Jim, the whole team here at Sportsnet. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Cullen on Curling. It's going to be an exciting few weeks as we head into the Scotties, the Briar. It's just so much great stuff happening in curling right now. I will be back here in two weeks with another great guest, and I hope to see you then. Remember, if you're going to be inside, be way inside. I'm on my grind, on my grind, on my grind. Like all the time, all the time, all the time. Hey, yo, you know they hate it, know they hate it. Coming in so clean, yeah, I'm motivated, I'm motivated. A chip is all that I need, yeah, they can't take it, they can't take it. Putting on for my team, yeah, we gon' make it, we gon' make it. Chasing after that dream, uh.